The last two weeks, three weeks, I forget now, we've been talking about forgiveness in the context of being salt and light. Jesus has called us to be salt and light. And I believe very much that our understanding of the gospel is revealed by how we actually treat people. It really is true. How we treat people shows people actually how we understand what Jesus has done. So in order to be salt and light, we started to look at forgiveness and unforgiveness, because unforgiveness is a killer of light and salt and those things which we've looked at. So if you haven't been here, I would encourage you to go listen to last week, not just because I preached it. We've had testimonies flooding in all week just about the change and the, who has felt it's been revelation just in terms of what forgiveness really is. Yeah, we've, we've had so much, and I really want to encourage you to put it into practice in your own heart, just to understanding the depth of what forgiveness is. And today we're going to get into a little bit more nuances, like deeper things about forgiveness. I, I don't want to confuse, but when you're dealing with a human heart, sometimes you've got to touch things that are sticky. Yeah? If you've ever had a child, you know that's true. And so last week I said that this week we want to get into corporate forgiveness, forgiving authority figures, leaders, and so forth, and then forgiving ourselves. Unfortunately, we won't get there to forgiving ourselves today. It's, it's in a major, major issue. We'll probably try to cover that next week or soon. But in Matthew 18, I'll give you a little recap. I cannot recap for long just because it's too much. So if I throw a whole bunch of stuff at you now, it doesn't make sense. Don't worry. It is on the website. You can go take a listen. Matthew 18 is our chief text, and it talks about this issue in verse 15. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses everything may be established. I've said it every week, and this I will say again. The purpose is not to, to go and tell everyone when you, you know, you've wronged me and go show everyone faults. It was something that was, in a sense, prosecutable or or there was a penalty due by the Jewish law. That was a great thing that had separated fellowship. And instead of prosecuting or coming against them with Jewish law, their desire for reconciliation says, my grace to you means I don't want to do that, so I'm coming to you. It's so different to the way that some of us have heard it before. In Matthew actually 5, Matthew 5 says a similar thing. It says, if you stand praying at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, you go to him. Leave your gift at the altar and go to him. And I used to say to the young people when I used to lead youth, don't do Matthew 18 if you don't do Matthew 5. It's also if you remember that you have wronged him. There's something that he is against you because of what you've done. So you leave whatever's there and you go straight to him. They both apply. Amen? So, and then Jesus, he talks about it. Um, then you go down to verse 18. He says, I sure dare say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So the lesson is forgiveness, and Jesus throws out some stunning statements, and then he goes into a parable. And what we discovered that this here, Jesus is speaking about forgiveness and unforgiveness and reconciliation within a local context, within a community. I would say within a church, but this was more like a community with, where people come together, okay? And the first thing we see is that the use of delegated authority, and I know I'm moving fast, but this is just for the last couple of weeks that we've done. The use of delegated authority that we have been given 
through Christ's victory in a sense, is tied to how actually we treat each other. We have to understand that he talks about heaven and earth. He talks about what's already been accomplished there, what's bound there, what's loose there, what's happened, heaven and earth. Many of us have a deep heart cry. Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let, there's a link between the two realms. And so many of us champion anointing and power and healing and gifts. And we love all those things here at this church. We believe all of that. We love it. It's great. But Jesus championed this issue, the way you are with each other is directly related. It's linked to the release of the authority that I'm going to give you when I die, rise again. I'm going to give you, you're going to have delegated authority from me. Not from Clayton, from Jesus, in case you missed it. You don't want mine. Delegated authority, yes, you need to learn truth. Yes, you need to walk in, understand, and all of that. But it's also tied to how you deal with each other. Very, very important. So he throws out that stunning statement. When I used to read it when I was younger, I was like, what does that statement have to do with forgiveness? Why did he talk about heaven and earth and binding and loosing, but the lesson is forgiveness? That is why. And then he talks about answered prayer. Where two of you agree. Now you have come together and found agreement. There's been reconciliation. When that's happened, there's an answer to prayer. There's an agreement because there's a dramatic increase in authority where one chases a thousand to ten thousand and so forth. All because of this issue, the way we work stuff out. And then he talks about his presence. The mark of, I think, a church that is being led by the Lord is not even miracles. It's his presence. It's his presence. It comes above all else. You know, without that, the presence of the Lord, without the deep sense of the presence of God, friends, we've been given a vision, we've been given a mission that is impossible without that. It's supposed to be impossible. If we could accomplish it by our own strength, by the amazing, brilliant minds we have, and it's not supernatural then. So, yeah... The impact of what we have truly been delegated with is tied to how we choose to walk with each other. They took this lesson, I believe, personally, just personal, major lesson they took into the book of Acts was Matthew 18. Because it says when they went into the book of Acts, we went over it last week, they were in one accord. It's a phrase, we went into it last week. <laughs> it's an amazing phrase. And it all through the book of Acts, every time there was a great demonstration, all our favorite texts, just before that, it says they were in one accord, they were in one accord. They were in one accord. And then Colossians 3 talks about forgive as Christ forgave. It's a radical text. You forgive someone else as Christ forgave you. That's a radical text. Because Christ not only forgave your sin, he also declared you righteous. So I see Nate. Sorry, Nate. He's in my zone of sight today. If Nate is mean to me again, <laughs> it's just so mean, you know. You know, for me to forgive him is not just to say, you know, Nate, you're awful, but I'm great, so I'm going to forgive you. No, it's to declare, yeah, forgiven, but you know what? You and I are in right standing. Forgive us, Christ forgave. We're good. We're good, because that's how he forgave. Amen? And then we ended with, you know, we covered, well, what do I, how do I do that if they're going to do it again? We covered that, and then, very important, Paul says, the one whom you forgive, I forgive. So forgiveness 
causes more forgiveness, very much like offense. And we ended last week with a dog with two ears. Proverbs 26, 17 says this, He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one that takes a dog by the ears. And the, the original actually says a stray dog. And that's important because in the old days, to be bitten from a stray dog, they would mostly eat meat. It's like a Komodo dragon. Very toxic bite, but they're not poisonous. People would get gangrene, they would lose limbs and all those kind of things. It's a poison. You get sepsis. I mean, there's something that goes into you because you picked up a quarrel that's not yours. Do you know what so-and-so did? Well, you would... Oh, really? And you pick up a dog, stray dog by the ears, both ears, and now your hands are occupied. So no kingdom work is happening in your hand. And the reason it says that is because for you to put that down means you're going to get bitten. And that's what happens. Now you've got this thing, and so you say, well... <laughs> so I don't know why the Lord is so funny to me, but I see, like, we come to the Lord with a dog. Lord, I love you. He's like, yeah, but the dog. Yeah, but I love you. Use my feet because, you know, my hands are occupied and, and so forth. And so that's what starts to happen. And then he says, but if you remember at the altar when you're praying, go deal with that first. Very, very important because offense can do this very fast. Now you're holding something that now it's going to cause you pain. You don't even know if it's true. For me, there's a few ways, and I'll share one with you. The best way to put a dog down. You're like, well, that's terrible because I didn't know that, and now I'm holding like five dogs, and I'm skilled. And now what do I do? The best way to put it down is to go to the person who told you <laughs> and say, all right, can you and I, we're going to pray for that person you told me about. And you pray for them and bless them. Don't say, God, just take them. No, you pray for them <laughs> and you bless them. And then you ask that person, please don't ever come to me with that kind of stuff again. I love you, but I, I don't want to be involved in that. People say, I'm not going to do that. Well, then you're probably going to get bit. Imagine if a church did that. That's totally different. I, I, <laughs> if I hear my name being mentioned, which I do often, but if I hear my name being mentioned, you know, when you're walking through after church or whatever, I rejoice because I choose to believe that if it's not good, it should be being said to me. So it must be good. And I, this is great. And when you actually let that go, you don't wonder. You're secure. It doesn't matter. Amen. So we cannot reserve the right, I said this last week, to be offended to be hurt, to be bitter, and expect to be a light to the city. They don't come together. This, the city is looking for evidence that we've been with Jesus. This is how they will know that you love one another. So, today I want to look at corporate forgiveness. and we, It gets into some things, but what does it actually mean to have corporate forgiveness? What, is that, what does that look like? I've got a quote I'll throw up behind you. The enemy fights forgiveness on every occasion. 2 Corinthians 2 declares this is Satan's great scheme. Remember we read 2 Corinthians when it says, do not be unaware of the schemes or the devices of the devil. And it's talking about forgiveness one to another. And the word devices is actually the word mind. Every other time it's used in Corinthians, it means mind. It's basically don't think like he thinks. That's what it means. 
2 Corinthians 2 declares that it's a Satan's great scheme against the children of God. Unforgiveness is the great light dimmer which could shine forth from a person, from a church, and even from a region. It's what removes hope. It's the opposite of love. Why? Because love does not seek its own. It's the greatest attribute of love, I think. It does not seek its own. Okay? The evidence to the world that we have been with Jesus. Light, let people see your light, the Bible says. Hope, give, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And love. These great evidences are dealt through our agreement with the way the enemy thinks, which is unforgiveness. That's what Corinthians says. And as believers, we fall into this trap all too often, and then we call it justice. Well, they, you know, I demand justice because, friends, that's, that's partnering with the enemy's way of thinking. The Lord's way of thinking is, is to forgive. You have the mind of Christ. We all have the mind of Christ. That's why I say that forgiveness is not an act of the emotions. It's an act of the will. Nobody wakes up and says, today I'm going to forgive those people that hurt me for seven years. I'm so excited. That doesn't really happen. It's a choice because of what you see and because of what it carries and what it, it holds such power. To forgive, I offer my wife or whoever I'm forgiving the invitation to walk in things that I've fought for. We went over that. It's the multiplication of such... Um, it's the way that God takes a very thing that was meant for bad and turns it for good and spreads it amongst his people. That's a very powerful thing. The enemy knows all too well what forgiveness releases. Why? Because he remembers the cross. He knows all too well. That's why he will put unforgiveness bitter at every turn. He will put it there. Because he remembers what is real forgiveness. What does it actually release? He also remembers what happens when a church body, in a sense, wakes up in a group of people in a given location. Acts 2 says they were in one accord and in one place. So when a group of people wake up to, this is the device of the enemy. My issue with you is something that he is trying to get me to be in agreement with. And it's, it's, like, it's like a veil is torn off your eyes. That's what I'm praying for during these weeks. It's like something is removed. And you're like, I've been fooled. The enemy knows when that happens, he knows because he remembers the early church. He remembers what happens when you have people in one accord, one mind, one passion. Friends, it's very seldomly been seen in history. We've seen revivals, but that, very seldom. One accord. What's possible in a city when that happens? Because we understand what it's him, it's not him, and it's not you. Most things that we get upset about, we've probably done to others. I mean, it's just silly. So, forgiveness, point one. Forgiveness, we're going to look at corporate forgiveness. Forgiveness makes us free. What do I mean by that? The whole point of this, friends, of seeing what forgiveness is not to become good at forgiveness. I am just good at forgiving. And so, you know, I get easily hurt and offended every day, but I'm a good forgiver. You know, are you actually free then? Are you actually free? No. It's not just about being good at forgiveness. It can start there. And I'm not talking about 
Please hear my heart. There are extreme issues, deep betrayal, the loss of a loved one, a person, um, uh, trauma, abuse. There's deep issues. It's, it's not saying we're not human, we don't have emotion. But I find in, in just in my life and in what I do that those deep things are almost, they, they're more clear. You know, it causes people to run to the Lord. That's why the Bible says it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. It's the stuff that, oh, they didn't do this, and I should have, and I think, and they should have. That destroys a vineyard, which is the church. It's the little foxes. It's not the big angry wolves that we can see from a distance and the intercession team takes out. It's the little foxes. So to be, I'm always offended. I'm always hurt. It doesn't take much to send me into a spiral. <laughs> Even though you may be, you know, you may have memorized last week, and you, you have all the tools, and you have all the practical things that we went over last week. What do I do? How do I say? How do I do it with another? Or, and I'm, I'm good at that. But do you want to do that every day, or do you just want to be free? Living free from what you've been forgiven of is also how to live free from having to forgive so often. The Bible says you've been freed, freed from sin. Freed with a D, past tense, set free. It says it five times in Romans 5 and 6. You've been freed. The revelation of that is what Matthew 18, Jesus is trying to teach when he tells the parable. The great equipper, the great ability for you to be able to forgive someone is to understand how much you've been forgiven and what's already taken place. The great debt that you've been forgiven. Now I can, and I begin to become free. I'm no longer my identity. My acceptance, my value is not tied to people anymore. It's not tied to what they say and what this group thinks. And it's not tied to that. It's tied to him. My value is tied to a price that was paid, not how I feel. Price determines value. Hello? So your value is constant, and, and you start to wake up because you've realized what's been forgiven for you. You realize this incredible debt that's been taken, and the weight comes off, and all of a sudden, well, that's, a, that's nothing what they've done here. Even if it's big, it's small. And you begin to change the filter. God changes the filter of the way you see people. He, he shifts and alters your heart. It's actually a deep work of the Spirit. What is the church more known for? Sadly, the other one. Because what's possible? Friends, what's possible if the church will wake up to this? You know, it's an amazing truth. It really is. He says that his love will be shed abroad in my heart. And what starts to happen, I focus is not how I am treated, but how, how I love. That becomes your focus. Romans 13, he says, you owe no man anything except to love. <laughs> so it, be, it shifts the whole way you think, but it's a work of the Spirit. You cannot think yourself there. It's to come before him and to come before his word and to submit yourself to a process and to understand what you've been forgiven so that you may be free, so that even though you may be a good forgiver, Go for it. 
it's not to have to do it every day because it doesn't impact you like it used to. You know, you look at Jesus and Stephen. Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Stephen says, actually, I'm going to read it to you. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, do not charge them with this sin, and then he fell asleep. Friends, we have to understand that's a whole different level or type of forgiveness. He was not saying, you've hurt me, so I'm forgiving you. He was already okay with them. He didn't forgive them for his sake. His cry, it says he cried out into eternity. Lord, in our language, I know that they're doing what they think is best. They're following the old man nature. They're doing what they think is right, even though it's not. They're reacting badly. They, I have nothing against them, Lord, but I know there's going to be an account for this one day. I plead, I beg, do not charge this against them. What happens to a human heart? When, while you're being killed, your attention and your focus is on them. You know, you can say, well, that's Jesus, forgive them, Father. But Stephen was just a man. What happens in a human heart? While you're being killed, you can cry out, Father, don't charge this against them. Your whole focus is on reserving and preserving them while they're killing you. How does that shift in a human heart? Love, only love. Love so amazing, so divine. Only love. What had just happened, Stephen had just seen into heaven. As I see Jesus standing. And he caught a glimpse of love, friends. Tell you, if you had, if you could stick your head into, into heaven for five minutes, you'll change the way you see people. We're going to take a look very quickly at John 3.16. And then heaven help us, we'll get into corporate forgiveness. John 3.16, famous verse. For God so loved the world. Why don't we say it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have great. Most well-known verse probably in the world. So what did God do? He gave. We're just going to go through this to show what does love without condition attached, unconditional love, what does love without condition attached look like? Well, what did God do? He gave, but it cost him. Love gives. Love gives. That's just what love does. What did he give? Everything. He gave everything. The word begotten actually means um, the only one of its kind. It also means an unrivaled place of honor. And Jesus was, he let go equality with God and became made in the likeness of a man. He went from being one of a kind to being very common, not, not talking about our value, but there's many of us. Why did he give? Why? Because he loved. That's why he gave. Because he loved. Love, true love, will find a way for justice to remain. But not at the cost of the focus of your affection. The focus of God's affection was people. But he didn't want it to cost them because he loved them. But he requires justice. Love finds a way. 
Who did he love? The world. Doesn't say Christians, doesn't say Jewish people. It says he loved the world. For God so loved the world. For what purpose? Well, for the rest of the verse, that whoever believes in him should not perish. But who is whoever? I'm going to read it to you. Who was whosoever? You can throw it up. I'll read it from here. Those under the power of the enemy, this is whosoever. Those under the power of the enemy who had once been like him in their nature. Why? Because he made them. Who had once been like him in their nature, but they chose another. Why? How? Through agreement with his way of thinking. Much like unforgiveness. But they chose another through agreement with his way of thinking. And that one, that enemy, blinded them by destroying their spirits so as to remove the very part of them that had fellowship with their maker. Thus they became desperately lost. Even an enemy at enmity with God and his purposes under the power of the prince of the air. What is love, friends? Love provides something for someone who doesn't even know what it costs, doesn't even know who you are, and at no cost to them. That's forgiveness. That whosoever, whether they choose it or not, it's been provided. That's love. And when we partner with the way the enemy thinks, it's often the opposite. Why do I say this? The Bible says God has shed abroad the love of God in your heart. And then he said, oh, and love one another. Then he said that, oh, but, and also love one another. This command I give you, that you love one another, it's the evidence to the world that you're mine because your nature has been made new and you think like I think. Don't partner with the enemy's thinking anymore. Remember what that happened? Remember what that did all those thousands of years of awfulness? Yeah, let's not do that again. Now think like I think and love one another and forgive one another. And bear with one another. Yeah? It was more important to Jesus than many of the things we champion. How we deal with each other. So, corporate forgiveness. I'm going to give you a little summary. The concept of corporate forgiveness, it's not a concept. It happened in Scripture. I'll throw up the Scriptures and you can read them if you want while I talk. A man in the Corinthian church who is is so uh, filled with gifts and power and wonderful things, they have all the stuff that people long for, and in fact, to say he was a Corinthian was to everything vile, disgusting, terrible, immorality, anything terrible that you can think of, the worst things, it became a summary in their day and just said, oh, he's a Corinthian. That was their community, okay? And so these people got saved. They obviously took some of that into the church. And so a man sleeps with his mother-in-law. That's not a good idea. So he sleeps with his mother-in-law, and they kind of don't do anything about it. And so Paul writes to them quite an extreme letter and says this, Deliver such a one to Satan, verse 5, for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the Lord Jesus. They're like, whoa, buddy, that's a that's Whoa. What's he saying? Not take a, you don't have the power, the authority to take away salvation. It's to give him back to the world, in a sense, to the power of the air. Why, friends? Why does Paul say that? God is so committed. Patsy said it. 
God is so committed to forming Christ in you, not just because he wants you to be morally better. No, because he wants you free, because it cost him everything. He wants you free. He wants you living in the fullness. That's honor, to live in victory. And when we're trapped in the enemy's thinking, he will constantly bring people across our path to try and nudge us in the right direction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit push you to, come on, let's go this way, let's go this way. He'll bring it through the Word, various. Eventually, it's not like, no more grace. No, there's still grace. It's as if he says it this way. They're not learning the lesson to be free from my people, but they'll learn it from the world now. It's going to be far harsher. It's going to be far harsher. But it's for the purpose of reconciliation so we can come back in and be restored and be free. That's actually what it means. It, it's not the word punishment there. It's not to make a payment for what he's done. Please hear me. It's not penitence. That, no, it's not a payment because that payment's been made. Christ's cross. It's not that. It's a way to bring him back into freedom. Tell you, oh, what should I do? Friends, I've had the Lord say that to me about a friend of mine came to me in a dream and said, hand him back to Hymenaeus and Alexander to teach him not to blaspheme. And I woke up, boom. And I knew the Lord saying, let him go. I'll take him. The world will teach him. And I love him. You know? It's a hard thing to watch people make bad decisions over and over. It's hard. But God will not let them go. He will not. He's committed. If you go to the book of 2 Corinthians... Paul writes, and he says this, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5 to 11. I'll just read you a little part at the end. Now he's talking about this man. He says, verse 6, This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, reaffirm your love to him. And that's why and he says, the one whom you forgive, well, I also forgive. Friends, this is corporate forgiveness. Paul is writing to a whole church. The whole church. Can we forgive this one? Can we forgive this city? Can we forgive this violent act that happened in that city? Can a church understand what it is to be a forgiving body of people? It starts with how it flows in and out of us, but it builds something much more powerful. It builds a culture of one accord. It builds something that there's still justice, but it's always for the purpose of reconciliation. Always, because that's the heart of the Father. Always, always, always. Always, always, always. And what it means when he's restored, it's not that, well, you know, we love brother so-and-so. He was the one that did this, this. You know, that we love him. No, it's not that. The Bible says, if you want to forgive as Christ does, that when he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, Hebrews 8, it says, he remembers them no more. That doesn't mean that God forgets. It's not like amnesia. It's not like, I don't, I don't remember. No, he's God. It means it no longer affects the relationship. It no longer puts a, I don't, nothing comes up in my heart about that when I'm with you. Because it's been restoration. It doesn't affect my lens of you. It doesn't affect my filter of you. I don't look at you and say, you're the guy that we were so good to. No, we love you. 
it doesn't come up. There's no... That's corporate forgiveness because that's what he does for you. That's what he does for you. So my question to us today is can we be a forgiving church, which we're going to answer in a moment. We're going to quickly go, turn a few pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to take this a little deeper. Can we go a little deeper? I'm glad you said yes, because if I said no, I was probably going to preach anyway, and that would have been awkward. So (laughs) the book of 2 Corinthians is actually a very fascinating book. The overall concept of what had happened is Paul had written a letter, and it was, had some extreme things, but some beautiful things. It's where we get our understanding of gifts and so forth. But he had written a letter, and what had happened in between is false teachers, false apostles that actually come into the church and begun to turn the affections of the people away from their, like, apostolic father. They become to turn the affections away from Paul and say lies about him and actually preach destructive heresies. That's what actually happened. And they had already a little bit backed off from Paul because he was a little harsh, you know? Like, mm, yeah, a little harsh. Who knows that the enemy knows when to jump in? You know? You know that situation? You can all think of one within your own family. Where you're like, if that person says it to her now, we're done. Like, like it's the worst time. And the enemy sent these false apostles, these false people to preach destructive things and to turn them against Paul, who actually loved them. So that is what we're looking at. So 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 to 7, verse 4 is actually the most, uh, it's the highest point of emotion in the book of 2 Corinthians. All the commentaries will tell this to you. We're just going to read it. It says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you, 2 Corinthians 6.11, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. Can I say that's always true of us in the Lord as well? Our restriction with what we long for is actually our affections, not Him. He is love. You are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children. You also be open. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord, see there's that word accord. What accord has Christ with Belial? That's demonic worship. What part of a believer has with an unbeliever, and what agreement with the temple of, uh, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. And then He gives, He pulls a whole bunch of Old Testament things and kind of puts them together. I will dwell in them. I will walk amongst them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Come out. We actually wrote that scripture on the floor because we long for habitation. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. When he says come out from among them, I have to comment there. It's, it's not saying leave the world and isolate yourself. It's not that. We are called to be in the world. But he's saying come out from among them in terms of don't be a carnal believer. Let, let, there be, let people see that there's a difference because of your affection for the Lord, not because of law and legalism. There's a difference, Okay. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father, and so forth. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, all these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of flesh and spirit. 
perfecting holiness. Okay, what does that mean? I've had people ask me that question. How can a person's spirit be filthy? Because you know, if you've done any study on body, soul, spirit, that's where Christ lives. And what's actually saying there is, because that is actually the word for spirit. I'm, I'm hoping this is helping some of us because there's something that is so powerfully possible. When a leader, when a person in a position of authority, specifically leadership in church, because of the authority of what they're doing, now we're going to get we're going to get personal real fast, okay? When a person gets hurt by a leader, friends, it goes really deep. It's as if it's defiled, it's affected all parts of them, even their ability, because your spirit is where you fellowship with God from. Even that is affected, because it's like my wife went to a church when she was younger that went off and became a cult. She had to go to court, and I mean, see, it got real silent. Right? Went off. That goes deep into a person. It affects every part. Because, well, if I believed them and, and I didn't discern that, then how can I believe any leaders in the future? Or how can I, is this even God's word? And maybe I haven't been hearing God. And it affects you deeply. And it's as if there's a filthiness that goes through you. These people had come in and preached heresies and all these other stuff, and it had affected them deeply, turned their affections. They couldn't discern who is actually the one that loves us. When people are hurt by leadership, it affects the ability for a person to trust, which is everything in the kingdom. How can I trust again? If I can't trust, then I've got to make things happen by effort. Because trust requires peace and rest. Effort goes nowhere in the kingdom. Not hard work and discipline. Effort. I'll do it, God. I'll do it. I'll... There's loss of presence. There's, there's loss of hope. All the stuff that forgiveness offers is just whew, gone. Because you've been hurt by a leader. I've been hurt by leaders. Many of you have probably been hurt by leaders. Some of you have probably been hurt by me. Not yet. Thanks, Richard. Love you, buddy. But he's coming. He's waiting. <laughs> no. Friends, let me speak to you very briefly about leaders. This is not because I am one. I pray you can hear my heart. I have no agenda. Please hear my heart. It's not easy to be a leader. Not because of all the stuff that comes with it. it I don't think it should be. It, it's a high calling. It's a privilege and it's an honor. But it's very quickly becomes people... <laughs> oh, boy. It's like people can very quickly take you and put a magnifier with the Bible onto your life. And it's very easy for them to come and share everything wrong with you all the time. Constantly. Often. Okay, because they're just people. And Jesus is the head, not a person. They're just people. The funny thing is this, though. If they react one time badly, they can be reacted at constantly. Why? Because there's something has shifted, and they've become love. They're not affected. They shouldn't be by people. They, 
I can love you. I'm talking about a leader. But they can be shouted at, and, you know, and it, that's part of it, right? But if they react one time because they're still human, one time, it affects deeply that person. It's, it's a responsibility. If they go off the handle, you know, well, guess what? You know, no. If that happens one time, it affects people. The same as parents. And we've all, without wanting to hurt our children. I don't know of a leader. I'm sure there are some, and it looked like these were maybe some of those, that wakes up in the morning and says, today is the day of destruction. I'm going to destroy people today. <laughs> no, no one wakes up like that. No one, no one does that. <laughs> they just don't. They just don't, friends. They don't wake up like that. Tell you a story. I... I'm wondering if I should tell the story. I... Yep, it's too late. <laughs> About a few weeks ago, I, one of my closest friends from many years of my life died. And tra tragically. And, you know, I got on the phone with his wife to South Africa. And I'm dealing with it. I woke up to the news. I'm dealing with it. I had an appointment to go and minister prophetically over two people. There had been an appointment set up, please come and minister, please come and prophesy. I put the phone down, walked over, prophesied over each person for 30 minutes. Power, presence, tears, went back and picked the phone up. If I had reacted at any time because of what was actually happening, people don't know and people don't care. Not in a bad way, because they, they don't know. It's the same with each other. When a person does that, we don't know why. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We, we're not always aware. And sometimes leaders have desperately hurt people, you know? And I, I don't think with ill, most of the time, it's not purposed. But there's stuff that they actually cannot say to you because it would betray the confidence of another. So they got to take the hit. And all of that that comes with leadership, it's, it should be like that. But friends, when a leader hurts, whether it's intentional or not, when a person gets hurt by a leader, by a parent, by someone in authority, it affects the whole person. There are some of you here today that have been deeply affected by this issue. I don't know, well, I know of maybe some, but I could say that almost in any crowd. I'm asking you today, can you let it go? Can you forgive today? Because until you do, you will discover that it will be repeated. And it will cloud you and it will affect you. The purpose of forgiveness, as we said, is to become free. Free, free indeed. It's an act of the will. I was going to speak about forgiveness and repentance. I won't have time to get into that. I'll just tell you very quickly. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation, friends. There's a repentance unto salvation. 
Okay, 2 Corinthians 7, same chapter talks about it. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, that's 1 Corinthians, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle that made you sorry, only for a while, now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but your sorrow led to repentance, and you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing from what they had given them. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, but sorrow of the world produces death. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And they feel the same. The enemy will always bring condemnation. He will even use scripture. This is, you know, this is with the Bible. He will use scripture. The law empowers it. The Bible says that. But it always leads to loss of hope, guilt. It's the opposite of empowerment. It doesn't empower you. It pushes you further into the issue and away from God. And you try to fix it yourself. Real repentance, friends, is always a work of the Spirit. And repentance is not, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm beating myself. No, that's weird. It's not repentance. Repentance is to change the way you think. But not just to change like, well, okay, I'm going to think like this. No, it's not flippant. It's a, it's a deep drawing of God in the Spirit, in your spirit. And it begins to alter the way you think, your mind being renewed by truth and your agreement is no longer with the enemy, but with him and with this. It's the Spirit draws you into repentance. And sometimes, like when you get saved, depends on what you're getting saved out of, which is not as important as what you, where you're going. It can come with a deep sorrow and a deep... But it, when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, it comes with life. It comes with empowerment. It comes with change. It comes with tears. It, there's something is happening. That's repentance, and it's a gift. It's a gift. It's not a bad thing. It's a gift, and it produces change in a person that no person can do. That's why I'm like, you should do this. You should do this. You need to do this. You need to do better. That will stir up sin in them, the Bible says. If I put law, and I, you need to, and you better, I'm making her less able to do the very things I'm telling her. But when the Spirit of God starts to do that, it turns your heart. And there's a repentance like that that leads to salvation. There's a repentance that is ongoing. Ongoing. It's not a one-time thing. It's ongoing. Sometimes God begins to draw. I asked a few weeks ago, whose heart has God been drawing? Remember? That's actually a work of repentance. He begins to draw your heart deeper. And all of a sudden, the things that we're always Christian cliches that you grew up with. Who knows this? Who knows what I'm talking about? You hear someone say anything all your life. You're like, yeah. And you say it and you've said it. And then one day you're like, oh. Oh, whoa. Okay. I know what that means now. Who knows this? Yeah? Why? Because repentance is doing something. It's a gift. It means to change the way you think. Metanoia. Why do I say this? Forgiveness. True Forgiveness cannot complete its work in a person, in a region, in a, in a body, unless we, forgiveness is what's given. Repentance is how we partner with it. How we partner, we choose it. We choose to we make a choice, it's an act of the will, and we partner with it. We say, I will no longer be duped by the way he thinks, and I will follow what God is leading me to do.
and something begins to change on the inside out. I know I haven't been super practical today. I was last week. Go listen to last week. <laughs> but there are nuances of what does it mean to be a church that forgives? It starts here, but it's more than that. What's possible? What happens when a person walks through that door that is everything that the, technically the church should despise, even though we're actually called to love? What happens if a person walks through that door? Will they be loved? Will they have a finger pointed? Will they be judged? What happens when you have a forgiving church? What's possible in the city? I want to ask you a question, but I'm going to qualify the question, so don't answer yet. Can we today, today, choose to be a church that understands, embraces, and walks in forgiveness? What do I mean by that? Forgiveness towards each other because of what it offers, because of what it does. Forgiveness towards leadership in this church, in past churches, in future churches. For some reason, I don't know why, forgiveness for this issue. When people leave a church, it gets weird. I don't understand that. God, if, if it's God taking them on, he's always taking them to more for them. Always. The, the friendship shouldn't change. I don't understand that. We're going to live together forever. So they go to a church down the road. So what? So what? Why, why are we like that? Forgiveness to all people that have come through this church that have hurt you. Or people from the last church that hurt you. Well, that's why I'm here, you know. Whatever. When leaders step down, which will always happen in a church from time to time, instantly people wonder why. What happened? What did they do? No, maybe it's God. Maybe it's time for them to shift. Maybe we can celebrate those moments and honor Forgiveness from person to person. Make a choice. I'm not going to pick up a stray dog. When you hear your name, can you rejoice? Can you be secure? Can you say, it must be good? So, with all those things, I'm going to ask us to take 20 seconds and think about it. Think about your answer. And then I'm going to ask us the same question. If you want to say yes to that, say yes. Because there's something in the power of corporate agreement. It needs to come out of our mouth. We're saying, God, we choose this. It may be tested. Because of what's possible. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question. Friends, please, don't just... Say it, consider in your heart. If you're not from this church, if you're visiting today, I implore you, I plead with you. The Bible says Peter pleaded, Paul pleaded. I plead with you, forgive, 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 forgive. Forgive. So can we today choose to be a church that understands and walks in forgiveness? Before you say yes, I'm asking you to think and pray about that. What that actually means. What it offers. What it offers to others when you forgive them. 
what it can be in a city, what it means that you may not get to demand justice for something done to you, to set free a leader who has hurt you or may yet be hurting you. Maybe it's me. Can we choose? If you want to say, Lord, we choose today to be a church that forgives as you forgave. I'm going to ask you to, on the count of three, take a little step forward, just do something physical, even if it's an inch. Take a step forward and say yes. Okay, one, two, three. Yes, all right. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I pray with all my heart that you would peel back the veil that lies before us at times, that we would see what we've been forgiven. How great this love, so amazing, so divine. That, Lord, you would teach us once again that they will know we are Christians by our love for one another and that we forgive. Lord, I pray, if you need to forgive a leader, take a moment now. Father, we forgive those from the past. And we say, freedom come, Lord. Freedom. Father, let our light begin to shine in the city. Not to be a successful church, but so that the gospel of Jesus Christ may be known on the streets where we live. This is your call. This is your commission. And we love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.